Welcome to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette, with your host Steve Garrett, MC and DJ at one of the largest Corvette weekends in the country, Corvette Fun Fest, president of the Corvette Club of Kansas City, Missouri, and radio disc jockey at the number one radio station in Kansas City for over 40 years. Here's Steve Garrett. Thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. I appreciate you tuning in. You can listen to Corvette Today on all podcast platforms. You can also listen on your smart device. Just say Alexa or Hey Google, play the podcast called Corvette Today, and you're connected. Also, visit the Corvette Today website. It's CorvetteTodayPodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure you visit the Corvette Today merchandise store. You can also sign up for Corvette Today emails, notifications, and updates at corvettetoday.ck.page. And don't forget, join the Corvette Today Facebook group. We have over 3,000 members, and I'd love to have you as a member as well. I'm also excited to tell you about the new YouTube channel for Corvette Today. Be sure and check it out and see your favorite Corvette Today podcasts now on YouTube. First, I'd like to thank our flagship sponsors of Corvette today, Aerolari Wheels, a true forged wheel with over 20 unique design styles to choose from for your C8 and wide-body versions of the C7, C6, and C5 Corvette. It's an absurd value starting at only $19.88 for a set of four fully forged wheels. And use the promo code CT100 for Corvette Today 100 and get $100 off your purchase. Visit aerolari.com. That's A-E-R-O-L-A-R-R-I.com. And use the promo code CT100 for your $100 discount. Also, Corvette Fever Magazine. Corvette Fever has been relaunched with an online and printed version. The online version has incredible interactivity with hidden photos and information, and the printed version is nothing like you've ever seen before, huge and glossy. Get your free online version at CorvetteFeverMag.com. You can also sign up for the printed version there as well. Corvette Fever Magazine, come along for the ride. Also, MidEngineCorvetteForum.com, the forum that focuses on the new mid-engine C8 Corvette. Meet a lot of fellow Corvette enthusiasts like yourself at MidEngineCorvetteForum.com. Also, a shout-out to CanadianCorvetteForum.com, welcoming Corvette owners from around the world. My guest on Corvette today is steeped in Corvette racing history. As a matter of fact, he was part of Corvette Racing's first win in the year 2000. He's a race car driver, he's a journalist, he's also a member of the Corvette Hall of Fame. He is Mr. Andy Pilgrim. Andy, welcome to Corvette today. Thanks so much, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be fantastic. Andy, let's start and talk about your early beginnings, because you were born in Nottingham, England. Talk about those early beginnings there in the UK, and what was the moment when you realized that you were a car guy? <laughs> That's interesting. Well, I think the first, the, yeah, Nottingham, England, uh, let's say cold, wet, miserable, great education, lovely city, lovely people. I love going back there. So really enjoyed growing up there. But there was never going to be the economic opportunities for me to race. So essentially, but where the interest came in into cars was just when I was a little kid, for whatever reason, I was just absolutely enamored with cars. It was just one of those things. As a young child, I was just enamored with cars. I was just fascinated with cars. And at a very young age, I could name cars and pointed at cars and ran after cars. If they looked like sports cars, I'd run away from my mom and go running after the car. You know, it's just, <laughs> just crazy. But I just had a tremendous interest in it. But there wasn't any kind of car interest in my family at all. They probably thought I was left at the hospital, wrong kid or something, you know. Right. So it was good. Yeah. 
Now, you won a lot of British titles in motorcycle racing. Talk about some of those achievements, Andy. Yeah, the way it works in England is you've got some sort of club championships. There are some very old clubs in England that have been around. And when I started racing motorcycles, essentially what that meant was I had a secondhand, very old motorcycle. I wanted to try to race. And when I was earning money, I was around 21 years old, I came out of college as a computer programmer. So I started earning money and essentially used that money to put numbers on my old motorcycle and just literally go to the racetrack, whether it was me riding to the racetrack, which when you road race, is ridiculous or i had a friend with a van who would drop me off at the racetrack after he finished doing his bread round so that's where it started essentially so i won several club championships which are not easy the, when it's a club championship it means that people come from all over the country to do it it's just organized by one of the british racing clubs and then as far as British championships, I finished second in two sort of British championships, which was the KH400 series and a British 500 production championship. But for two and a half years, I did motorcycle racing before I essentially got a job offer in the United States as a computer programmer. Yeah, you took a very interesting path to get to America because you were in the IT field in the 80s and you were snapped up by a U.S. contractor. Talk about getting that first job in the United States with General Motors. Yeah, I was very lucky in the sense that when I first got my job in IT out of college, I was sort of more interested in sticking numbers on my motorcycle because I now had a paycheck and starting to race. Little did I know I was at one of the most intensive places you could work in IT at a place called Midland Household Stores. And what it was, back in the old days, they had these huge telephone book-sized catalogs. And essentially, we were the IT for the catalog companies in the UK and we processed all these people. You could like buy a pencil on higher purchase. And I'm not kidding. I mean, you could buy anything in these cathodes. They were massive. I was part of the credit scoring group. And that credit scoring group was actually working with an American company. And there was like eight of us in that group. And we were at the absolute cutting edge of credit scoring, which didn't exist. So I was one of the first people, one of the first programmers involved in the credit scoring systems in the world. And we were working with IBM. We had access to the British electric to a role, which we were the only outside the government, we're the only company that had that. So we had this really cutting edge. And I was like the youngest kid just come out of college. And I was the youngest one in the group. But after two and a half years there, the guys were always looking for jobs. And the US at that time didn't have enough IT programmers, which actually still doesn't. And I was looking for a job, sort of for, well, you know, might be really interesting. I'd always wanted to come to the States and sort of to try and work here. And lo and behold, programming was the way to go. Oh, and I just didn't realize it when I got into programming that that would be the case. But there you go. I got a job offer. I applied, got an offer and came to the U.S. Now, I was a contractor. So essentially, I came over with ABC Company. An ABC company then placed me at my first contract, which was, as you rightly said, Pontiac Division in General Motors in Pontiac, Michigan. Yeah. And I was there for a year before I moved somewhere else. But it was always like one year contracts or something like that. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Now that did lead to your second contract job in El Paso, Texas. Yes, yes, it did. <laughs> Talk about that and how you kind of got into <laughs> racing here in America. Yeah. <laughs> the sales guy for the company I was working with was a marketing guy. He'd always come around to Pontiac. And he says, oh, how are you doing? I said, well, you got any other jobs like outside of Pontiac? And he said, why? I said, because it's freezing here. <laughs> so it was like, honestly. And he said, um, okay, let me get back to you. And he said, how about El Paso, Texas? And I said, is it warm there? He said, yeah, yeah, it's warm. You'll love it. 
so essentially, I got in my $500 Chevy Malibu Classic and basically started driving south <laughs> and uh, went from like minus 40 degrees in February to 75 degrees in El Paso. I mean, I thought I'd got a job on the Riviera. <laughs> I remember getting the phone plugged in and calling my mom and just saying, Mom, I can see clear blue sky and it's 75 degrees outside. I'm in heaven. You know, it's like it's amazing. <laughs> so that was El Paso, working for El Paso Natural Gas at the time, again, as a contractor. Yeah. Now, didn't that get you into racing down there in Texas then? It did. It did in a very strange way. So again, racing's always been economics based, right? So I got into racing in England when I could afford it. And likewise, in 1983, when I was in El Paso, I still had my Chevy, but Volkswagen came out with, if you remember, the Rabbit GTI. Yes. And of course, every kid in Europe just ogled after a GTI in Europe and they'd had it for a long time, but the US hadn't had it. Now, it was a pretty much a milked down GTI, the one that came over here. It was only 90 horsepower. It was a little bit of a different GTI, but it was still a GTI, right? So I got one, and I was coming down I-10, which is basically runs all the way through El Paso. And I was going past the Sula Vista Mall, which is right there on the east side of El Paso. And I looking to the right, and I saw this C3 Corvette at the time. It would be a C3 flying across this parking lot, like at 60 miles an hour. And it was in cones, and I was like, what the heck is that? So I went off the freeway, went around the back, and lo and behold, that was an SCCA autocross going on, and that's what started it. On my website, I still have a picture of my black GTI in an open area where they had like a school parking lot. It was from El Paso, actually. You've got like a three-wheel GTI. It's a picture somebody took of me doing an autocross in El Paso in 1983, and that was SCCA, and that was sort of what started any kind of four-wheel competition. That was the first time. Very nice. Now, you also became a U.S. citizen in 1998. Yes. That had to be a thrill as well. Yes, definitely. This country has given me so many incredible opportunities. And wanting to do things professionally, essentially, that was the opportunities that America's given me. Whether it was starting my business, whether it was getting into racing professionally, the avenues are open here. You have to work hard. You have to make some smart moves. You have to stay focused. So when I became a citizen, it was extremely emotional for me. It really was. Every group I speak to now, whether it's traffic safety related or whether it's marketing stuff that I'm doing, I'm very proud to tell people that this country has given me incredible opportunities and it's something I'm very, very grateful for. That's awesome, Andy. Well, let's take a quick break. And in segment number two, we're going to delve deep into your racing career. We're talking with Andy Pilgrim, famed Corvette racer here on Corvette Today. Stretch the life of your Corvette's paint with Nova Stretch Performance Protective Covers. Nova Stretch Covers provide superior protection for your C5 through C8 Corvette, utilizing stretch fabric technology and an innovative fastening system for quick installation and easy removal and storage. Made in the USA for a tailored fit, the patented design and breathable mesh protects your Corvette without rubbing or chafing the paint like traditional bras. And unlike clear film solutions, Nova Stretch provides full front-end coverage including the grill, keeping radiators and heat exchangers clean without creating airflow issues. Visit NovaStretch.com and use the code CORVETTETODAY15 to get 15% off your order. Protect your Corvette with Nova Stretch. American Hydrocarbon, your one-stop shop for custom interior, exterior, and engine bay items for your C4 through C8 Corvette. We can help you create a custom look for your Corvette with carbon fiber or 10 different color patterns and styles. We've served customers in over 28 countries all around the world. 
Whether it's a custom-made engine cover for your new C8 mid-engine Corvette or custom-made C4 interior upgrades, American Hydrocarbon can help you transform your Corvette into a best-in-class show car. Our products have been featured in VET and Corvette magazines, so give us a call. 813-476-5638. That's 813-476-5638. And now we're proud to announce that we can produce and distribute officially licensed GM products with a C8 Corvette. That includes the front splitter, the side skirts, engine appearance panels, and engine fluid caps. See everything on our new updated website, AmericanHydrocarbon.com. This is the Corvette Today podcast with Steve Garrett. Hey, thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. With us today is famed Corvette racer, Andy Pilgrim. In this second segment, we're going to talk about Andy's racing career. Andy, you started over 456 races in your career. You've won 80 races in 37 seasons and five championships with over 202 podium finishes. You've had 400 top 10 finishes, which is over 90% of your races, and you finished in the top 10. Talk about some of the highlights in your racing career. Well, Steve, you've definitely done your homework. Amazing. I don't think I knew <laughs> those numbers. It's certainly not off the top of my head. Incredible. Gosh, so many high points, Steve. Your first win, your first podium in pro racing, which was in the Renault Cup Series in 1984, which was my first year racing. Because, as I think I mentioned in the first segment, there was no way I was just going to run for trophies. I couldn't afford to do that. And I just wanted to see if I was going to be any good and push it all the way to the limit. So that was my first podium. My first pro win was the Pontiac Trans Am in the Firestone Firehawk Series, which was very memorable. That was at CS Point Raceway, a real driver's track so that was kind of cool to win at Sears in 86 first championship of course is memorable 1995 again that was actually with Pontiac in the Speed Vision Cup series it sort of goes on from there factory related rides with Porsche and BMW in factory linked teams and then a full factory ride of course in the Corvette program I mean so many so many opportunities and then Cadillac's factory program last but not least Chevrolet Camaro program in 2018 to have a factory contract when you're in your 60s is quite ridiculous actually <laughs> my hat is off to you my friend my hat is off to you now andy you've also raced in the corvette racing series back in the late 80s and the early 90s mm-hmm. talk about when you joined corvette racing in 1999 and also talk about your famous race partners Yes, the Corvette Challenge Series was spectacular. It's such a shame it only lasted two years going back there. That was an amazing series. We could talk for hours on that alone. I love the fact that I was part of that series. Had some great races and some great, met some superb famous, I mean, Johnny Rutherford. I mean, people like that. I mean, how on earth could I race against Johnny Rutherford in anything other than a Corvette Series? I mean, the man was an IndyCar legend and a lovely guy, by the way. Lovely guy as well. But going into Corvette Racing, that opportunity sort of came about Doug Feehan, who has been the legendary team manager for Corvette Racing until very, very recently, all the way through. He gave me a call. I was driving with Porsche-related teams at the time. This was in 1998. And he asked me whether I'd be interested in being considered for a Corvette racing program that was just getting started. He said the opportunity for 1999 would be three races only. I was obviously like, hell yes, please. (laughs) So, you know, it was like, please consider me. I tested the car first in 1998 in November at Road Atlanta, I remember. Many of the guys were there. 
the Ron Fellows, Chris Neifel, John Heinersey, I think Scott Sharp and others. Everybody was sort of getting in there or being tested and things like that. And I was luckily one of the people that managed to get into the team for 1999 when they started. Ron and Chris Neifel did a full season in one of the cars. The other guys like John Heinersey, Kelly Collins, Scott Sharp and myself, we would add in. And I think John Paul Jr. as well, actually, we would add in for the longer races. Essentially, that's how the program started in 1999. Lo and behold, 21 years later, it's still going strong. Absolutely right. And you also raced with Dale Earnhardt Sr. and Jr., as well as Kelly Collins. Yes, Kelly was my regular teammate. In 2000, there was a pass that I made in Petit Le Mans, which was in Corvette folklore, has become called the Pilgrim Pass. That pass got noticed by Dale Earnhardt. It ended up being the pass of the week on RPM Tonight. And he actually contacted me and congratulated me, if you can believe, on that pass and said, basically, that pass is exactly why I want you to be my teammate for next year's Rolex 24 hours. Of course, I know had never been contacted by Dale Earnhardt. I had no idea there was any thought or contact or any anything about the possibility of this 24-hour race with the Earnhardts at that point. So I was incredibly excited and immediately told by the team manager, yeah, we well, can't say anything. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it was like, we're going to announce it in about two and a half weeks, and we're going to Mooresville, North Carolina, and the whole thing, and it's going to be you, Dale Jr., and Dale. We went over there. We had a great time, and so many stories from that first day when I met the guy. Incredible. A lot of fun. Great guy. Very humble, actually, and funny, fun, mischievous, <laughs> and uh, just enjoying life to the full. We had a great time there. It began the process. The first test we had at Sebring, that's when I suggested to Dale that Kelly Collins would be a good addition. And he said, well, let me think about it. And then Kelly came to the test. They'd never run in the wet much. And so luckily, Dale met Kelly. And of course, he thought Kelly was great. And Kelly came in as the fourth driver. So a small point there that people have the clean cars. The clean cars were done early on in this sort of program. And they only had three names on them. Huh. But when the dirty car came out after the race, it had all four names on it because it was that wasn't a mistake. It was because at that time, Kelly wasn't in there, but he was added on later, which is why you don't see Kelly's name on the clean models that came out of the Corvette. Piece of trivia there for people that might be listening. Very interesting. But so many memories from those guys. They were both wonderful. Both did really well. The biggest thing for them was braking. They were just blown away by how late you could brake for the bus stop at Daytona, how late you could brake on the infield for any of the international horseshoe or any of that stuff. It was just so different from the NASCAR. And having done a little tiny bit of NASCAR, I understand why. Essentially, the NASCAR cars weigh 3,500 pounds and they don't have big brakes. Right. And the tires are made for taking incredible amounts of punishment on the banking and they're not super grippy. They're made to last with a very, very heavy car at 200 miles an hour. And we don't have that in road racing in the same way because the cars are much lighter and all the rest of it. But once they got used to the brakes, they were both super quick. But as it turned out in the race, there was a tremendous amount of rain and it was really, really good that we had Kelly there as the fourth driver because Kelly and I did quite a bit of rain driving and Junior really had very little experience and he was able to do what he needed to do but it was great to have kelly there very cool now you also raced at the 24 hours of Le Mans with corvette racing and porsche as a matter of fact you had five podium finishes talk about that because i'm sure racing at Le Mans had to be one of the highlights of your career a hundred percent Le Mans is a very special place i never dreamed that i would actually end up racing there one day 
1996, it came about. There was a team being put together, and I got an opportunity to run with a New Zealand team called the New Hardware Team. And there were two Porsche 911 turbos, and we had a good, the team did well. We got second place for one car, and we got fourth place in class, very competitive in those races. And then in 97, I ran with a different team, the Rook Racing Team, and we ended up coming second that year. And that gave me some experience at Le Mans, which I think was instrumental or certainly one of the factors in me getting the call from Corvette, the fact that I'd actually been to Le Mans. And then 97, I actually qualified on the class pole in pre-qualifying, which was pretty amazing as well. Just an amazing opportunity for them to ask me to qualify. And then I ended up on the pole pre-qualifying, which was a big thing back then, which was pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah. So it was definitely an advantage. And I didn't win Le Mans. It's the only major that I haven't won, like Rolex, 12 hours of Sebring and Petite are the other three. Oh, our sports car majors, kind of like golf majors, if you like. But being on that podium is just so special because you're so far above the front straightaway. And at the end of the race, there's 150,000 people on the front straightaway because at Le Mans, there's like close to 350,000 people. And most of them are on the front straightaway and they allow them onto the track after the race. So it, it's so many wonderful memories of that race. It's incredible. And on the Friday, there's a parade where all the drivers get to go on old cars and you go through the town. And again, <laughs> hundred plus hundreds of thousands of people in the town for the parade group and it's incredible incredible stuff they do love their racing in lamar france that's for sure absolutely Andy, talk about this. I know that you raced with Dale Sr. and Kelly Collins at the 24 Hours of Daytona, mm -hmm. and you won that race three times. And then after Daytona, mm -hmm. Dale Sr. promised to get you into NASCAR. Talk about your racing with Dale Jr. and Dale Sr. and getting into NASCAR. Yeah, racing with them, Dale and I had become buddies. Over the four months, we'd become friends. He would call me up and say, hey, Andy, what kind of mopeds should I buy for my boat? <laughs> it was just normal kind of conversations between two mates, you know? It wasn't the fact that he said to me, I'm going to get you a NASCAR. He had actually told other people. Oh. And he told Dale Jr. that. Wow. Dale and Jr. had spoken about something like that, I think, at some point after the race. I was not part of that conversation. Huh. So there was a lot of things that I had didn't know about till sadly after he'd passed away. Uh, Steve Crisp, who was Dale's right-hand guy for like 13, 14 years. I love Steve Crisp. He's one of the best guys, period. Such a smart guy. We've remained friends over the years. And Steve was the one who explained some things to me about how Dale was, how he didn't have that many friends, you know. He had hmm. people that he knew, but he didn't have any friends. Neil Bonnet was a very close friend of his. And when he lost Neil Bonnet, there weren't that many people close to him, you know. So it was Steve that sort of gave me a lot more insight. And he was the one that told me that, Andy, you don't know that when we got back from the race, Dale had already told me to start clearing out the trophy room. And he said, this is going to be where we're going to put the Corvettes. Wow. And this is like, and this will be the car that me and Andy race. Hmm. And Steve's like saying, so Dale is going to retire from NASCAR, but he wanted to go sports car racing. And supposedly he'd asked Teresa to say, hey, is it all right if I go racing with Andy? <laughs> I mean, Andy didn't know anything about any of this. Wow. But it was sort of an ongoing in background thing. I learned about it from Steve after Dale had passed away. And then I spoke to Teresa later and she confirmed it. And also another friend of mine who'd had dinner with Teresa confirmed it. It was quite amazing, actually, about the fact that he would potentially go Corvette racing. He would potentially want to do it with me. It's just an incredible part of the story. But the NASCAR connection then, going from that, Dale and Dale Senior had had a conversation on an airplane, which was sort of referred to in a letter that Dale had sent me after the race, saying, 
thanking me and all the rest of it. It was a really nice letter, which I still have. So I was playing golf, something that I love to do and have done like once in the last seven years. But I was actually playing golf back in 2007. Junior called me on the phone and he said, hey, Andy, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just playing golf, mate. Can I call you back? He says, well, I got something kind of important. You know, it's like, I said, oh, oh, okay. So yeah, no, hang on a minute. So I sort of walk away and I said, yeah, yeah, what's going on? He said, well, I just want to ask you a quick question. Are you interested in running a couple of NASCAR bush races in my Navy car coming up? Canada and Watkins Glen road course races. And I said, yeah. And he said, and that phone call is something that dad and I spoke about and I want to repay the debt. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. And that was it. Then, of course, that ruined my golf game, which didn't take much ruining anyway. But it was like, this is like, I was so excited about it. And yes, that's where the two Navy races came from in 2007, which was great. I mean, great opportunity. All road races, I think, or most of them have a bucket list thing. Like, I wish I could do an NASCAR race. And luckily, I did two Bush races. And I also got to do one Spring Cup in 2011. So again, those are the bucket list things you like to check off as a road racer if you get that opportunity. Absolutely right. Also, in 2004 through 2008, you drove for Cadillac in the Speed World Championship Challenge, and you won that race in 2005. Talk about the differences between racing for Cadillac and racing for Corvette. Well, funnily enough, racing for Cadillac and Corvette was almost like the same thing in a way. Oh. Because the cars were all built by Pratt & Miller Engineering. And some of the same guys that were working on the Corvettes were brought over to that new budding Cadillac team. And so some of the same guys that were working on the car and some of the same engineers. And so it was actually like old home week, amazingly. So, yeah, in 2003, there was a test at Road Atlanta again, funnily enough. I ended up being picked. My teammate was Max Angelelli. And that started in 2004. And I was there for 2004 till 8. And then again, the second time around with Johnny O'Connell, 2011 through 2015. Fantastic opportunity. Another factory program with GM Racing. Also in 2009 and 2010, you drove for K-Pax Racing. You moved back to Cadillac from 2011 to 2015. What races did you do for K-Pax and then what races did you do when you returned to Cadillac? So Cadillac had always been in this World Challenge Series, which was essentially was the premium production-based GT Series in America at the time, which has now become the SRO Championship which, along with WeatherTech, are looked at as the premium GT series in the U.S. Of course, WeatherTech also has prototypes, but they're the sort of the two premier series. So essentially, Cadillac wanted to be in the premier GT championship, and Corvette were always running in the sort of the IMSA side of things as opposed to the SECA pro racing side of things, which is where Cadillac was. So essentially, it was just two sides of the same deal. With Cadillac, it was always in that championship just different generations. The first generation car ended in 2008 and also GM had some hiccups in 2008. And so what happened was I thought, well, don't have a job. Amazingly, the phone rings and I get a call from Jim Huey at KPAC saying, hey, would you like to have an opportunity with Volvo? Randy Post was my teammate. They were building these new turbocharged all-wheel drive Volvos, which would also run in the World Challenge Series. And that was also a factory connected project with Volvo. So it ended up being another sort of semi-factory team deal, really. For two years, we did that. 
going into 2011 or the end of 2010, I got another phone call from GM saying, hey, we're putting the band back together. <laughs> Johnny O'Connell is coming across from Corvette, kind of like I did in 2004. Right. And he'd be your teammate. It's like, oh, that's going to be great. So it was like end of the season. Jim Hugh was extremely nice about it and said, Andy, I totally understand you were with them before. We wish you all the best and see you on track. Type of thing. Very nice. So it worked really well. And I ended up going back to the Cadillac operation there. And Johnny and I just had so much fun with Johnny as the teammate for five years. It was great. That's fantastic. Well, Andy, let's take our final break. And when we come back in segment number three, we're going to talk about all your other jobs that you've got on Corvette Today. VetFinders.com is the Internet's original Corvette classified ads website with classified ads starting at just $25. And every ad runs until your Corvette is sold. If you're in the market for a Corvette, VetFinders.com has over 500 Corvettes for sale from all around the USA and Canada and covering all eight generations. Visit VetFinders.com, the Internet's destination for buying and selling Corvettes. That's V-E-T-T-E, Finders.com. Hey, honey, are you awake? Mm, I am now. I can't sleep. Since turning 50, I keep dreaming of a red door and a blue door, somehow knowing there are only choices for retirement. Okay. Through the red door, we outlive our money. We have to rely on our kids. We're stuck on a fixed income. It's terrifying. Yeah, that would suck. But through the blue door, our money outlives us. We retire on our terms. Our kids stay our kids, not our caretakers. We make work optional. Yes, that's much better. That's what I I want to, but what do we do? We call True Wealth and Company at 913-653-8783. They specialize in helping successful people make work optional. They're our fiduciary Blue Door personal wealth managers. Hey, where are you going? It's 3 a.m. I can't sleep. I'm going to check out True Wealth and Company online at retirewithtrue.com. That Blue Door is going to be our retirement. 913-653-8783. Visit us online at retirewithtrue.com. Investment advice offered through True Wealth and Company, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Kansas. And now, back to Corvette Today with your host and my husband, Steve Garrett. Hey, thank you very much for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. With me is famed Corvette race driver, Andy Pilgrim. In this third and final segment, we're going to talk about some of the other things Andy is doing outside the racing world. Andy, first of all, you are also an accomplished writer. You've written for Automobile Magazine. How did you get started doing that? Thanks to a guy called Mac Morrison. Mac was with Auto Week. He and I got together, gosh, over 20 years ago now, doing some Cadillac stuff. He was at a place in Michigan called Gingerman Raceway, which you may or may not know of. And we were just doing some testing there. And Mac was there as a journalist. I was there as a test driver. And Mac and I got chatting and we sort of became buddies and became a bit friendly with that stuff. Lo and behold, a year or two down the road, it was like, hey, Andy, we're going to test a Z06 Corvette at the racetrack. Are you interested in coming to doing some stuff for us? And you can do the testing. And then also we did some testing with a Camaro and a GT3 and other things. So it became one of those things, that relationship with Mac on a work basis and having fun with Mac at some of these trips. It, when he moved to Automobile Magazine, then he said, hey, 
we might need someone to do some writing and also we can do some other stuff. And that's where essentially that came from. So for six years, since 2015, I think was my first writing assignment for Automobile. And the last one was last year in 2020 when Automobile basically shut down the print magazine. Right. But I'd also done some vehicle review videos for them, which I set up called uh, the thing called Pro Racers Take Series which is automobile related. And of course, automobile now really is motor trend. It's kind of the same thing now. Right. There's like 38 vehicle reviews and other things there. So that was all again related to automobile as well. I'm not a journalist trained, but Mac Morrison said, write something, let's see what's what. He basically said, look, <laughs> your stuff is good. Keep doing what you're doing. And again, honestly, that was a bucket list thing for me to possibly get into a print magazine that was respected, nationally circulated, internationally circulated, and write a real article about it. That was what I wanted to do. I didn't just want to be a guy pressing pedals and setting a lap time and nothing. You know, I like the idea of writing. Mac has given me those opportunities. And now, actually, I've moved over to CNET, part of the CNET Roadshow team, which is fairly recent. But I've done a couple of videos already in one print magazine article. So... Very nice. Now, I know you had mentioned that you had done some video reviews of some cars. What kind of cars did you get to review? Well, you can start with really expensive, like the McLaren Senna, and you can end up at the other end of the spectrum with one of the most beautifully designed small cars, in my humble opinion, the Mazda 3. And so we've gotten from the sublime to the ridiculous pretty much in that series. So super fast to super fun. Now, you also have your own company, Andy. It's called the Traffic Safety Education Foundation. Yes. Talk about the foundation. The foundation came about with my interest in trying to give back. I had been very fortunate coming over to this country to be able to start up a little business in 1989 with very little money. And it took off like a single engine Cessna dragging an elephant over the first two years. But it finally took off. And that business kept going for quite a while. When that business was going quite well and racing was going well, it was time to give back. So in the mid-90s, I started to think about traffic safety as a potential way to go. I was aware that the American driving test was not anything close to European standards as far as a driving test, which, of course, isn't helpful when it comes to survival and just being a good driver and generally being able to merge, not merge, understand to use your mirrors and all those other wonderful things. And it sort of sprung from that understanding, first of all, talking to students all around the country at various schools. I'm only one person. And this was something that I needed to get to more people. Then I started making educational videos. And essentially, I've done five full-length educational videos with hundreds of small chapters so that driver education teachers and parents, with kids of all ages, by the way, once you turn your child's safety seat around to face front, that 18 months or two-year-old is actually learning driving habits and behaviors from watching you drive parents, just so you know. 15 years old or 16 is, is about 13 years too late when you start thinking about driver education. So understand that... When they're in the car, which is only about 10 to 15 percent of the time after they start school, just put the phone away. And hands-free driving is not safe. Very true. Also, you were inducted into the Corvette Hall of Fame in 2012. That had to be a huge thrill. Yes, the Corvette Hall of Fame was fantastic, unexpected, and just a wonderful thing because the Corvette program has been such a great program. Just the idea of getting that kind of recognition. My mom actually is quite funny. <laughs> when I told her in 2012, she said, well, that's really nice, dear. I thought normally when you got inducted into those kinds of things, you had to be dead. 
<laughs> she's a typical English person. So it was quite funny, but it's a great honor. It is a great honor. Corvette was one of the first sports cars that I was aware of outside British type cars when I was young. The Corvette is just so internationally known. And then to be in the Corvette Hall of Fame is, is a superb honor. It's great. It's great fun. Definitely. And you live in Bowling Green, Kentucky now. Talk about the association you have with the National Corvette Museum and the NCM Motorsports Park. Essentially, three and a half years ago now, I was in the middle of selling my IT company, which at that point was 29 years old, and I was ready. And I was based always in South Florida. My foundation was growing. I could do the journalistic stuff from anywhere. I could do the race driving stuff from anywhere. I had some interest from two locations, one in Oregon and one in California on the West Coast, to base my foundation there because they could do more community service with it. And they understood that I was nationally doing things for traffic safety. So that was sort of going forwards. Somebody at the Corvette Museum heard about this, the, the president heard about it from a board member, said, hey, Andy Pilgrim's moving, blah, blah, blah. Why, if he's doing this, if he can do this on the West Coast, maybe we should ask him if he wants to do it in Bowling Green. Long story short, four months of negotiation later, I end up being a consultant here to help wherever they want me to help, essentially. I do traffic safety education stuff from the Motorsports Park, which my foundation has to pay for. But the point is, it gives me a facility. It gives me classrooms that I can rent, gives me a paddock area that I can rent. So I do the traffic safety work there. And also I can do whatever else I need to do. And that's it. Essentially, I said, yep, let's make a deal. And I've been here three years. I just extended the contract for another three years. And that's how, essentially, I got to Bowling green very nice i can do everything else from here yeah and it's been great it's been great it's been really nice great people very nice andy you also have your own website talk about the url and what people will find on the website and how someone can get in touch with you you can always get in touch with me through the website I am on social media. I won't say I'm active every day on social media because I'm just, honestly, it's just too busy. I'm there to sort of inform certain things when things happen, if I can. But I'm on social media as well. If you go to either of the websites, there's andypilgrim.com, which is racing related. But the main one that gets used the most, certainly because of the foundation work, is tsef.org. And the TSEF essentially stands for Traffic Safety Education Foundation.org. You can get there through the whole thing, trafficsafetyeducationfoundation.org or tsef.org. Either one gets to the foundation, and you can get to me through theandypilgrim.com or through the foundation website. It's easy enough to do. Very nice. Andy, thank you so much for being my guest on Corvette today. The stories were absolutely fantastic. We have to have you back on the show, and we'll talk more about some of the Corvette racing stories. Steve, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be part of your very long list of legend people there. I'm very honored. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Corvette Today. And please be sure to tell your family, friends, and other Corvette enthusiasts about the Corvette Today podcast. And also thanks to our flagship sponsors, American Hydrocarbon at AmericanHydrocarbon.com, True Wealth & Company at RetireWithTrue.com. Also, Aerolari Wheels. Get $100 off your purchase with the promo code CT100 at aerolari.com. Also, Nova Stretch Bras. Use the code CorvetteToday15 and get 15% off your total purchase at novastretch.com. You've been listening to Corvette Today with Steve Garrett. If you'd like to contact Steve with any thoughts on the podcast or ideas for guests on Corvette Today, you can email him at stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. That's stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. Garrett has two R's and two T's. Or connect with Steve on social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. 
using at Steve Garrett DJ. Thanks again for listening to Corvette Today.